And the rest of us are going to talk about our favorite subject, everyone's favorite subject. We're going to talk about ourselves. <laughs> Some very spiritual person first hour mouth Romans. And uh, <laughs> that was extraordinary. But we do like to talk about ourselves. We like to uh, hear about ourselves. We're kind of bent that way. And interestingly enough, in Romans chapter 12, uh, we learn about how we should think about ourselves. So if, if you have a Bible, you want to turn to Romans 12. We're going to look at verses 3 to 8 this morning. A biblical view of self. A biblical view of self as it would relate to others, as it would relate to the church. But we are going to talk about ourselves this morning in that sense. So you want to go ahead and turn there. As you're turning to Romans 12, uh, maybe to, to bring you up to speed with what brought us to Romans 12, 3 to 8. And uh, we can go ahead and look at those first two verses, which are so important in understanding the, the whole argument of the book. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... In light of the mercies of God is the idea there. Because of the mercies of God, in light of all that we've learned so far, that we were spiritual deviants and God saved us by Christ's work on our behalf. Okay, in light of that, to present your bodies, yourselves, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your literally reasonable or logical act of worship. That's what brings us here. We learned all the great gospel truths that in one sense had nothing to do with us. It was all of God's grace. The only thing we contribute is the need to be saved. We are sinners and God graciously provides redemption through His Son. That's Romans 1 to 11 in a nutshell. Romans 12, 1, the hinge of the door opens. And now, in light of what Christ has done, we are called to act. We're not called to act somehow to earn the favor of God. Christ has earned it for us. But we're called to act differently out of thanksgiving, out of gratefulness, out of praise. He even uses the word translated in some of the translations, worship. Worship is because of what Christ has done. And that's where we are now. And number one on the list, interestingly enough. First issue addressed. Romans 12 to 16 is about how we live our lives. First issue out of the chute. Biblical view of self. Christian view of self. How should we view ourselves? How should we view ourselves, even what he's going to get to, in, in relationship to other Christians? How should we view our, ourselves in relation to the church? That might be something for you to tuck away in the back of your mind when it comes to discipling people. When you, uh, by God's grace, see someone understand the gospel, believe the gospel, and now it's time for the, the first step, if you will, in discipleship, what are you going to talk to them about? Well, if you're going to take any cues from the Apostle Paul, he's going to talk about biblical view of self and then right away as it would relate to the church, as it would relate to relationships with other believers in the context of the church. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, ourselves. Can't wait to do it. We're going to jump right in. We'll look at this under two headings. The first one would be the heading of just self in general. The second heading would be self in relationship to others. Let's go ahead and look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, the Apostle Paul says, so this isn't because he's better than others, he's experienced the very thing uh, that the Romans had experienced or we'd experienced. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do notice it's all-inclusive, it's not just for leaders, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Those last words really summarize the, the gist of the issue. You want to know what Romans 
12, 3 to 8, really is focusing on it's that. I want everyone to know this, the Apostle Paul is saying, all Christians need to know this, and that is you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's a biblical view of self. I suppose we could take it out of context and say, well, if I only hear that, it sounds pretty uh, harmless. Okay, Pat, uh, Christian, um, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And I could then conclude, but I think I ought to think pretty highly of myself. (laughs) And obviously, in the flow of things, that's not the idea. We're just coming off of, again, Romans 1 to 11, where it's all of God doing this. Salvation is of the Lord. It's all what He has done, not what we do. And therefore, the connection is, Pat, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And don't even go down the road of thinking, well, you know what? Now I'm redeemed. You know what? Now I've been reconciled to God. Now, how about this? I'm an heir of all things in Christ. All that great stuff in Romans 8. And before you know it, I could go down the road of sticking my chest out and feeling pretty good about myself. And you know what? I think pretty highly of myself. Because I've been justified, sanctified, and glorified. (laughs) Right? Man. Well, remember the big picture. And maybe we could even just go back ever so briefly to Romans 11.36, which was a great way to summarize what had come before. Romans 11.36 is a great reminder of what we learned in all of Romans 1-11. to For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Seems to be saving things. Isn't that amazing? It's for God, it's through God, and it's to God that all things are. To Him be glory, or to Him to be Him be esteem, to Him be significance forever. Amen. That is a great reminder to us. Put it this way: Romans Romans twelve three is a reminder to us in the context of all of Romans that the gospel is a great reminder to us not to think too highly of ourselves. Yes, we are rich in Christ. It's true. But not because of our significance, but it's because of Christ's significance. It's because of His work on our behalf. It's all about Him, so I need to make sure I don't think too highly of myself. You need to make sure, if you're a Christian, you don't think too highly of yourself. Because all that you are in Christ is based upon zero that you've done. It's all of Christ. That's a biblical view of self. Don't think too highly of yourself. Well, that's in the positive. In the negative, he says in verse 3, as you'll see there with me if you look at your text, but to think with sober judgment, which is just the negative way of saying what what he's already said, but I do like the way they translated it, but to think with sober judgment. The idea in context would be sober gospel judgment, right? You know the gospel in light of Romans 1 to 11, and that brings some sobriety to you being all uh, uh, self-consumed. That's sobering. I need the gospel to sober me up. Give me some black coffee. Give me some black gospel coffee. Sober me up so I don't start thinking somehow, boy, I am God's gift to the church. You know? I'm so glad I was able to grace you with my presence. We start thinking like that. 
And where he's going to go with this is we're actually called, if we're Christians, we're called to serve. Hmm. I'm not going to serve if I think very highly of myself. I'm going to serve if I think highly of Christ. And he calls me to do this, and there's a huge difference between the two. The gospel sobers us. It keeps us sober. I like the way he did that. Here's what I wrote down for myself by way of application in this passage. Stop, Pat, and think about how you think about yourself. More application for myself. Don't be like the drunk who overestimates his or her abilities. Right? You see drunk people, and they overestimate themselves. And maybe it's kind of funny at first, and then it's not funny. We, we use words like pathetic. I also wrote this down for myself in light of that. Drunk people look dumb, and they don't know it. Drunk people are an embarrassment to themselves, and they don't know it. Drunk people look and act pitiful, and everyone else knows it. Pat, think with sober judgment about yourself. Now, you're all feeling pretty good about yourself because I just gave you my application. <laughs> I've been doing the I, we, us. And uh, I should maybe be more biblical because the Bible often is in the form of direct address. You. You need to not think too highly of yourself. You need to not act like a drunk person when it comes to your view of yourself overestimating yourself and your significance because others are going to see it and while you might not know it it looks it looks not right it looks pitiful christians are saved by god's grace and by god's grace alone we call ourselves christians because we're saved by christ and we follow christ in response and remember mark chapter 10 verse 45 i think it is jesus said i didn't come here to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many? Biblical view of self is that we don't think too highly of ourselves, but we get some black coffee gospel, sober up, and the gospel does that. Not better than other people. Say by grace, because of Christ. And, and how about, you're not better than other people. But if you're ever going to serve and you're ever going to be Christ-like, you've got to get that. We've got to get that. It wasn't because we're smarter or better. Think with sober judgment about yourself. Verse 3 uh, specifically names sort of what's behind this by going on to say at the end there, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned which is a hard verse to interpret. Um, and it's interpreted in one of two ways. And I'll talk about the one of two ways. And I don't want us to get too bogged down here. But uh, there's really, within Bible-believing Christian circles, you're going to have people take it one of two ways. And, and one uh, group, and you might have this in different study Bibles, and it's, it's, it's biblically true whether or not it's true in this passage, would be he's talking about how God gives people different amounts of faith as it would relate to giftedness. And so we should know that, you know what, any giftedness you have, the argument would go, is from God, so don't be arrogant or prideful about it. That's one view. And in the end, the application is going to be the same. It comes from God. You know, anything you do have has come, from, has, has come to you from God, so, so don't be like, oh, look at me, I'm above this. 
Have a sober view of yourself. Or there's another way to take it. I lean more toward this. When he says faith here, he uses faith in the sense that he's used faith all throughout Romans. And it's not yet about giftedness. It's about salvation and the gospel. So far in Romans, he's been using faith for faith in the gospel, faith in Christ. God has granted that faith. Indeed, he has. And I think that tends to make more sense here. Each according to the measure of faith. Well, he didn't give different measures of faith. If you're talking about faith in the gospel that God has assigned, he's given, he's graced. It's all the same, but it's all from God, so don't be arrogant. Either way would be fine as far as the ultimate significance One meaning is right, and it's just tough to make the call. The King James tends to go for the latter. Listen to how the King James translates it. God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. That tends to agree more with the second interpretation of how they've rendered that, and I'm drawn toward that one. The reason you believe the gospel, again, isn't even because you're somehow smarter or better than other people and you figured it out. No, God has assigned, God has granted the measure of faith, it too is from God. But in the end, application-wise, you can take either interpretation. One is right. We're not postmodern. <laughs> okay? But in the end, the point is, what you have, whether it's salvation or giftedness, came from God. I need, I so need as a Christian person to remember that. I so need to remember the gospel is what I need to remember because it sobers me up. And you, yes, direct address, you so need the sober reminder of the gospel because otherwise we're going to have an inflated view of self. Otherwise we're going to think we're better than other people are based upon our giftedness or somehow our work in salvation and we're going to have a mess. We're going to have a perverted gospel over time if we don't already. We're not going to be able to work together because we think we're better than other people. We're not going to serve. And how about we're not going to get anything done? It goes back to the gospel, biblical view of self. I didn't deserve it. No room for pride. It's very sobering. Now, someone's going to object and they're going to say, but that will lead to a, lo- a loss of self-worth. And? <laughs> you might want to get a preview of heaven and read the book of Revelation where they're constantly and incessantly saying, worthy are we to open the scroll. <laughs> no, that would be paganism. Worthy is the Lamb. Christianity is not about self-worth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, He's the worthy one. I have been saved by His grace and only by His grace. And so, you know what? I don't think very highly of myself. I think highly of Christ. I think highly of Christ. And if that doesn't do it for you, read Romans 3. It's very sobering. (laughs) None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And you say, gross, man. I don't like those guys either. (laughs) 
The argument of Romans 3, which is getting us ready for the gospel, is, you know what? That's the mirror. That's the mirror. And boy, that does have a way to sort of, you know, wipe out self-worth and get me ready for service. It's a far cry from I believe in myself. You know, it used to be that we would make fun of this kind of stuff. And it was okay. Now you can't make fun of it in culture and you can't make fun of it, of it, of it in church or it sounds like it's somehow anti-Christian. Some of you who are older remember those old Saturday Night Lives that you shouldn't have been watching. And those old Saturday Night Lives and there was a character named Stuart Smalley. I'll quote him. I'm good enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. I rewatched a clip of it yesterday, and it was disgusting and pathetic and meant to be satire. And now it's like normal. And maybe it's even extraordinary. Maybe even our culture kind of understands how stupid it is. Not really, but maybe kind of, sort of. But in the church of all places, we think Stuart Smalley's like the pastor. <laughs> the guy in the dorky green sweater, Stuart Smalley. Look at it on YouTube. <laughs> I'm good enough I'm smart enough and doggone it people like me and we laugh and say that is pathetic but somehow we start confusing that with what Christianity should lead to think soberly about yourself in light of the gospel no one does good no not one. Oh, okay Then we're going to be ready. Thinking rightly about ourselves, we can get along with other people because they're fellow sinners. They're fellow, no one does good, no, not one. Christ saved them anyway. Isn't he amazing? And they agree with you. And now we can work together. And now we can actually get some things done for the glory of Christ. Changes everything. So then we move on. Biblical view of self and then biblical view of self as it would relate to other people. So now that your self-esteem is really low, I found a sermon, by the way, I'll just tell you before we move on. I found a, I was looking for illustrations of this. I came up with Stuart Smalley. I thought it was pretty creative. Feeling good about myself. Uh, <laughs> but I did find a sermon that I could have bought on self-significance. And it was only $3.95. That would have saved me a lot of time. I would have gone without lunch. It would have been worth it. But then I would have been a liar. <laughs> it's not about that. It's about Christ. It's about Him. For His glory and for His honor. All right, let's move on to number two. Self and church as it would relate. Number or Verse four then goes on to say, For as in one body... He's using a physical body as an illustration. So think about one body. You think about your own body. We have many members or many parts, and the members or parts do not all have the same function. Are you with him so far? Pretty straightforward. He's going to use a human, uh, human anatomy illustration. There's one body, but it's got a lot of members. You've got, hopefully, ten fingers and ten toes, and uh, you've got all your parts in order and kneecaps and elbows and arms and noses and some of us got double measure of grace and uh, the idea is there's all these different parts but there is only one body 
but they don't all have the same function. They don't all do the same thing. They have their unique function. Verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members, this is kind of profound, individually members one of another. So you just start putting the pieces together and you start understanding biblical view of self. Now that I'm a Christian, I am part of the greater whole, the body of Christ, and I am not the body of Christ. It's not all about me, but I have some role in the body of Christ, and there is a working together. There's even a a membership that's together. We're members one of another. We're interconnected. It's a great, great illustration. Think about your physical body, and some of you have gone through this. When your body is not working well with itself, when a certain part of your body isn't communicating or working well with another part of your body, you've got problems. Well, that's, that's a decent way to flesh out the illustration. You know what? If your toes, you've got to act like toes and do your part. If your thumbs, let's hope we're not all thumbs, then we have problems. But we all have our role to play. But now if we think too highly of ourselves, we think we're the whole body. Or we think we're the end in and of ourselves. No, you're part, by the grace of God, part of the body. And, and so now we're going to be able to work together. We're going to be able to benefit from each other. And we're going to work together and get along with each other. Because if we don't get along with each other, we've got problems. But it should be easy to get along because you know what? I'm a beggar and you're a beggar. And I was even taught to beg by the grace of God. so we can do this verse 6 also has more to say about this having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us so this is God's business he decided to gift us in certain ways according to the grace given to us he sovereignly bestowed who gets, who gets to be a thumb, who gets to be a toe, and all that kind of stuff. But then do notice what he says. Let us use them. Maybe one other text to connect it with. I underlined in verse 6 for clarity. Having gifts, the end of verse 6, let us use them. That kind of gets right to the point, doesn't it? Having gifts... Let us use them. And then I drew a circle back up to verse 3. Everyone among you. Just so I really caught the flavor and the idea. He's talking to everyone who's a Christian. He gave gifts and then it's use them. All right. Pretty straightforward. Pretty clear. Biblical view of self is going to lead to lead to me serving in the body of Christ. Is always really getting at. But somebody's going to say, but pastor, I'm busy. All right, glad you're busy. But pastor, but pastor, but pastor. Now more than likely, you liked Romans 1 to 11. Pastor, oh yeah. Give me high fives. I'm so committed to the gospel. I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's not by works. It's only by His grace. Isn't Jesus a great and magnificent Savior? And I'm going, yeah, He is. You ready for what's coming? 
It's not by works. I'm totally there with you. And then we get to Romans 12.1 and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, because you're so into salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and you should be, to present your bodies, all of you, as a living and holy, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your logical, which is your reasonable act of worship. You know what's reasonable for you if you're a Christian? It's reasonable for you to serve. It's reasonable for you to play your part. It's reasonable for you to do that. It's reasonable for you not to overestimate yourself and think, you know what, I'm really not here to serve unless you mean I showed up and graced everyone with my presence. (laughs) This is just reasonable. Romans 1 to 11, we can simplify the theology of salvation. Romans 12 to 16, the theology of practice or worship in light of salvation. As someone said, and what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. (laughs) They go together. They're inseparable. He has put them together. We don't think somehow we're going to serve and do these things to earn the favor of God. But because Christ has earned the favor of God for us sinners, we can respond out of gratitude and pleasure and worship. And we're part of the body of Christ. So we use our giftedness. It's pretty straightforward. It's really straightforward. Am I being mean? I hope I'm being reasonable. I can prove it with the Bible. This is reasonable. He gives some. He lists gifts now, and I don't think he's intended to be intending to be exhaustive in verses six and following because he gives more gifts in another place. And what we're not going to do today is go through all the details and the meaning of these different gifts. Um, I think he's just fleshing out the, the basic logic, which is this. If you're gifted in this way by God, then serve accordingly. If you're gifted in that way according to God, then serve accordingly. If you're gifted in this way according to God, then serve accordingly. The idea is serve, do something for the building up of the body. So he says in verse 6, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, maybe even checked by our faith, don't go further than you should if you have this unique, special, foundational gift, then keep it in check. But you do prophesy. Verse 7, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And the list could go on if we looked at all the other places where he gives spiritual gifts listed. But again, I think the main idea is God has gifted you somehow, so, so act like it. And it's for other people, it's not for you. And you say, but I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, that's okay, just do something. And figure out what it is. Let's save money and not buy inventories. Um, just, and by the way, too, everyone's supposed to serve in one way or another. Now, some have the gift of service. Everyone's supposed to give in one way or another. Some have the gift of giving. Uh, someone's gonna, everybody leads in one way or another, but some are gifted in leading. But the idea would be that as you've been gifted, don't think so highly of yourself that you're going to keep it all to yourself. Now you're not working well with the body and you're leading to the body having problems. Do your part. 
That's all. I really think that's the thrust of what he's getting at. By way of application, so we don't paralyze this local church because we're all busy thinking so highly of ourselves, which might show that we don't really understand the gospel. So we're going to understand the gospel. Then we're going to hear the exhortation. Don't think too highly of yourself. Think soberly, not like a drunk, overestimating self. Serve as you're gifted. You say, I don't know how I'm gifted, Pat. I think you'll save a lot of time if you don't lock yourself up in a room and just wait to get new revelation to figure out how you're gifted. Just look for something that looks like it needs to be done. How about starting there? You know, those greeters weren't very friendly this morning, I noticed. I came in the back door. There was no greeter. (laughs) All right, there's a place where you can serve. Bathroom's a mess. Oh, there's a place where you can serve. But I don't do bath... Maybe you should. (laughs) It doesn't really matter. You're going to serve for the building up of the body of Christ, which is then going to allow us to glorify Christ. And obviously, I'm using building illustrations. It doesn't have to be in this building. That's not the idea. But somehow, I'm, I'm using my giftedness for the benefit of other people, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the health of the body. You might say, I'm carrying my weight. Maybe it's not the best illustration. Every Christian should serve. I remember years ago when someone said to me, you know what, at first when I came to Omaha Bible Church, I really was really uncomfortable. It wasn't because of the teaching. It wasn't because of the doctrine. It was because I felt this pressure to serve. And I sang the Hallelujah Chorus right there in front of them. If you get the gospel, Romans 1 to 11, it's all of God, of him, from him, and to him. You want to serve. You want to do your part, not to earn, but out of thanksgiving. Out of thanksgiving. So start doing something that looks like it needs to be done. When I was a kid, a punk kid, I listened to punk rock. It's kind of hard for me sometimes to to, to get out of my mind my 80s alternative music Likings, because I kind of think in terms of all these crazy songs that I had locked in my mind. and uh, But sometimes it's helpful. One of the hallmarks of classic punk, 70s and 80s, selfishness. So, of course, it was appealing to me as a selfish, unregenerate kid. It's a great, great thematic kind of music for me. I can't help but think of such things when I think of Christians who don't serve got a happy face on the outside, everything's fine, everything's good, but they don't serve and they just remind me, remind me of that kind of selfishness. It's all about self. I think of the sinister smirk. I cannot get it off my mind. I've seen it in person a couple of times at concerts. The sinister smirk of Johnny Rotten singing No Feelings. I won't ask for a show of hands who knows that song. In that song, he says, I got no emotions for anybody else. You better understand I'm in love with myself, myself, my beautiful self. And he goes, ah, no feelings, no feelings, no feelings for anybody else except for myself, my beautiful self. (laughs) 
with this sinister smirk on his face. Go home and look at it on YouTube. I remember seeing him in concert years later in Kansas City. He started a new band. He was the front man for the Sex Pistols, the classic punk rock band when he sang that song. Years later, he started another band called Public Image Limited. And he basically said, you know why we're here? You know why I started a new band? You know what this is all about? I want your money. That's what he did. And we all laughed. (laughs) Because maybe that's who we were trying to become. You know what? Maybe Johnny Rotten singing No Feelings is a good theme song for an unregenerate, zit-faced teenage kid. But it's not appropriate for you and it's not appropriate for me if we're Christians. And whether or not we'll sing the song, we're singing the song. When we say we're Christians and we don't serve, let's not be like that. Let's not be, I'll borrow more from punk rock verbiage a la 80s. Let's not be posers. People who aren't the real thing, but we claim to be by our profession and by our dress. By the grace of God, go deep into the gospel and see what Christ has done for you. And the natural, reasonable, logical response will be, I want to serve him with my whole life. And that means I serve his church let's pray father thank you for our time this morning and thank you for the reasonableness of christian living that it does come out of thanksgiving it does come out of uh, a joy-filled heart because of what the savior has done for us and lord i pray that those who are here for those who are here who serve and they serve hard and with zeal that that you would help them not to be puffed up and arrogant but to to give glory and credit to Christ. And Lord, for those who are needing to find a place to serve, Lord, give them eyes to see and and give them clarity of of thought and and to give them the kind of heart, a heart that would be a reflection of the Savior, the Lord Jesus himself. And they would have that kind of desire. Lord, now as we prepare to eat bread and, and drink wine, in remembrance of the gospel, in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for us. Lord, may this be a good time for us to remember that he not only came to pay for our sins, but he came here through his work to rise again from the dead on our behalf so that we would have these new affections, so that we would have these new desires, these reasonable desires because of what he's done for us. And so as we eat and as we drink, may we do so with thanksgiving in our hearts, knowing that we're not only forgiven because of Christ and his work, reconciled, justified. We are also being sanctified because we're in union with Christ in his resurrection. Do great things in our midst to the point where we are astounded and amazed with the work of Christ through his Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.